Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. talk about a composer who wrote one of my favorite all-time operas, Pelias Ooh. and Melisande. One day mm. we'll do probably a dedicated at least two episode <laughs> arc about the plot of Pelias and Melisande because Whoa. it's complicated and weird and whatever. I don't um, know that opera at all. I can't get into it with you right now. We don't have time. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. We just don't all have time. Right. Uh, but it was written by a man named Claude Debussy. Um, I guess greatest associated with the uh, sort of impressionist movement, although he personally hated that mm -hmm. and hated that title. Really? Um, Why? I don't know. He just didn't dig it. it I like, think wasn't his thing. It was. It's a super, like, the terms associated with painting right. predominantly, right? If you think of the works of like Monet, mm -hmm. and so he didn't like that association, or he didn't. I think he felt like it was a very restrictive thing to say that all of his music was just impressionist. Because mm. okay. there's a lot more to his music than just the impressionist aesthetic that it might be associated with it. Yeah, exactly. So, so right. we'll talk a little bit about um, his background, and then I want to uh, delve into basically his personal life, because it was pretty scandalous. I have to say, I know next to nothing about his personal life, so I'm excited to learn something. Yeah, but if you want to jump in with any thoughts or biographical information, that would be cool, <laughs> is what I'm saying. I don't, I don't know that much about his biography, to be honest. Like, I know that he went through a period where he was influenced by Wagner a little bit, as yep. everybody was at that period mm -hmm. of time. He has written a lot of different types of music, so he wrote a lot of art song or chanson for mm -hmm. voice and piano. He wrote some very famous orchestral works, like La Mer is very popular. Right, and the Afternoon of the Fawn. Prelude to the Afternoon of the Fawn. It has this beautiful flute solo that opens the whole thing. Um, I really love his Chansons de Bellatis, which are mm -hmm. this song cycle set to a collection of poetry by Charles Baudelaire. And that whole story is really crazy because Baudelaire essentially published these poems that at the time were considered super scandalous and risque, but he framed it all as if he had like discovered them from an ancient source. Right, a trus like Etruscan. Right, yeah. and when really Baudelaire himself had written them or something like that, and so. Which is a total bullshit thing that people did all the time back then. Yeah. But anyway, we don't have to talk about yeah. literature, whatever. No, they're a great song cycle, it, and just the harmonies in it are just so weird in like the most amazing way yes so let's listen to something from it all right well this is the the first one which is the pan's flute or flute de pan mm -hmm. and the opening is just amazing and it has all these awesome like whole tone and octatonic things going on it's beautiful mm -hmm. 
So, Debussy. He was the oldest of five children. He was born in 1862. Um, his father owned a china shop, and his mother was a seamstress. Mm. Um, the family moved to Paris in 1867, but in 1870, uh, Debussy fled with his mother, who was pregnant at the time, to live with their uh, aunt in Cannes to escape, basically, the Franco-Prussian War. Oh, I mm. thought you were going to say, like, abusive father or something. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, there was a war going on. Uh, so they Fair stayed enough. there. Fair enough. And when he was uh, seven, he started piano lessons with an Italian violinist named Jean. Uh, Jean. He was Italian. <laughs> Giuseppe. <laughs> Giuseppe Ceruti. <laughs> um, and then in 1871, he drew the attention of a noble woman named uh, Marie, who claimed to have been an aristocrat and a pupil of Chopin. Mm. Um, so... He lived with uh, her for a while, and she lived with her daughter and son Alain, who was the poet Paul Verlaine. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it was in this apartment that Debussy's lessons took place. Um, and they happened simultaneously with all like those uh, scandalous encounters between Verlaine and Rimbaud, which we don't have to talk about. But yes, well, that all happens. Am, am I supposed to just know what those are? <laughs> Is that, do you think? They're poets. I want you to just throw out a number. How, what percentage of our audience do you think just knows exactly what you're talking about? The scandal. 72. You think 72% (laughs) of our audience? I think, I think 90% of the audience can surmise based from everything we've said so far, perhaps what the scandal entailed. Mm. All right. Well, now we're in the surmising business. Yeah. (laughs) So he was a pianist. Debussy is uh, known for a lot of his piano music. Mm -hmm. Um, Did did he perform himself uh, extensively? Not extensively, but he did perform himself uh, a little bit, um, which drew the attention of people like uh, Georges Bizet, who said he was a brilliant pianist and an outstanding sight reader. And said he could have been a nice. professional pianist if he wished. Okay. Um, so he played piano publicly for a while. And actually, during the summers of 1880, uh, 1881 and 1882, he accompanied a woman named um, 
Nadezhda von Meck, who we know from our Tchaikovsky episode, who was the patroness of Tchaikovsky. Oh. Wow. Right. So he followed her around as she traveled with her family in the summer in Europe. Oh, and, you mean um, when you say accompanied, you mean like physically, not musically? Well, both. Oh, um, okay. I didn't know she, she, <laughs> right, did she play an instrument or did she sing or... Uh, she she uh, played in, she played the piano. Um, one of his many duties uh, during these vacations um, was he played forehand piano pieces with von Meck at the piano, wow. and he gave musical cool. lessons lessons to her children and performed in private concerts with some of her musician friends. Nice. Oh, yeah. Um, and despite her closeness to Tchaikovsky, um, they never really uh, met. Debussy wrote a piece actually that she sent to Tchaikovsky for his sort of. Um, opinion and perusal and he wrote back to her saying it's a very pretty piece but it is much too short not a single idea is expressed fully the form is terribly shriveled and it lacks unity oh honest yeah being honest. honest and he never or published this piece but it stayed in the, the family i don't nice. know i don't know um so wc was basically like whatever fuck you tchaikovsky and in 1884 <laughs> he um wrote this one-act opera called L'Enfant Prodigé, um, and he mm. submitted it to the Prix de Rome, and he won. Um, nice. Like many other composers oh that we talked gosh. about. right. Right, so that includes a four-year residence um, at the Villa de' Medici, which apparently he hated. Um, <laughs> a lot of uh, letters to a woman who we will talk about in a second. Um, he said that the artistic atmosphere was stifling, the company was mm. boorish, the food was bad, and the living quarters were abominable. Uh, he also hated all Italian opera, and he found the operas of Donizetti and Verdi not to his taste. Huh. Wow, maybe he just got accustomed to a certain lifestyle when he was going around with Madame, what was it, de Beck? Or the Von, Von Meck. Von Meck. Maybe, you know, he was high on the hog, and then when he went to Rome, it was like, eh. Well, I think he was sort of... Um, he had a very specific idea of what he thought music should be, and he wasn't seeing it anywhere. Mm. Um, and he did write in 1885 that I'm sure that the Institute, the, um, the Academy des Beaux-Arts, which does the Prix de Rome, I'm sure the Institute would not approve for, naturally it regards the path which it ordains as the only right one. But there is no help for it. I am too enamored of my freedom, too fond of my own ideas. So he felt very stifled. Everything he wrote, the Academy kind of hated. Ah, so um, he wanted his own impression to be valued. Ha! Uh, ha! Uh, <laughs> okay, t-shirt oh. idea. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> please, please! Either Debussy's face or just like, Debussy, am I giving a good first impression? Ah, oh, nice, mm. nice. Something, or something, what, how could it be shorter? Like First impressions. Oh, or just like first impression, uh, uh, question mark, you know? <laughs> impression. Okay. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> what is Debussy. your impression of this shirt? I mean, I will, okay, so going back to his music, <laughs> oh, God. I will say <laughs> that when I first heard Debussy, and first started learning some of his piano music when I was in high school. And granted, at this time, I really didn't know much about the kind of chronological periods and ordering of who, who was composing when and who was contemporary of whom. But I remember thinking that he sounded so 
20th century. Like, it did yeah. not sound like he should have been born in the 1800s. It sounded mm -hmm. like he his music belonged in, like, 1920 or 1930. So sure. I can see how someone who wrote music like he did going to an opera by Donizetti or Verdi being like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and well, the Academy also, he, said that he was... Go ahead. Well, when he was reflecting on Donizetti operas, that those operas were like 30 or 40 years old. So, Right. Yeah, Although some Verdi would have been New, more recent. Yeah. But mm -hmm. still, it would have... I can see the styles seeming to be so polar opposite to what he was trying to do. Right. right. Well, um, and if he was being expected to compose something like that, he was probably like, I can't. That's I. Right. It's not me. Mm -hmm. uh, so he uh, visited uh, Boy by for for God's sake. Thank Byroy? you. <laughs> was it Bayreuth? Um, Bayreuth. <laughs> um, that place in Germany. So right. he visited there in 1888 uh, and 89, and that sort of had a really lasting impact on him because it was the first time he heard Wagner's music, and all of a sudden he was like, this is what music can be, oh, uh, nice. et cetera, so forth. And then around the same time, he met Eric Satie. <gasps> ah. We got him. Dressed all in, in white. white. All in yes. white. And gray. Eating, and gray. eating, eating white. white food. Eating white food, sorry. A nice um, chicken fettuccine Alfredo. Oh, with cotton God. balls on top. With cotton balls. <laughs> Um, with and white bread. They yeah. were sort of uh, kindred spirits, and they both had this very experimental approach to music and composition. And uh, both musicians were sort of bohemians during this period, and they enjoyed that same uh, society and struggling to stay afloat financially. So he would, you know, walk around with sati in his coat with a hammer in his pocket. Right, I was going to say, know. did he also the have like an, a random weapon in his pocket? Debussy didn't. That was the sati thing. I, kn I know, um, but hey... It, you start to emulate the the company that you keep, so. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, That's why. That well, never mind. I won't say. Another interesting fact is that, that around uh, eighty nine. I'm just gonna keep talking because you keep interrupting me. Kyle. Yes, interruption. I was Ugh. see. I was gonna say that's why I'm so sassy. It's because I hang out with Elspeth. Also, okay. why I'm. Uh, I okay. want to get. <laughs> I want to hear the juicy parts of his life. Juicy details. I was going to say to a fun aside, uh, in 89 was also the first time that he heard Javanese gamelan music, which uh, definitely influenced the way that he wrote music. For anyone that doesn't know, because Kyle's looking at me very weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Did you say Javanese gamelan? Javanese gamelan music. Javanese. Why do you say it like it's something that I should totally know? That like Because... because Oh, I, this is going to sound really mean. Because you, you have a music degree and theoretically took like, like music history music 101, class. 102 yeah. in, in world history okay. of music, right? Or there, world music. There is, a, there is a fine collection of things that I should know that I don't. That is my own fault. But I don't think it was ever in the subject matter of a course that I was in. The, uh, Javalon... What was it? Javanese Gamelon. <laughs> Kyle, Javan Kyle, did you did you learn about Debussy in school? Yes. Then then you should have been told at some point that he was heavily influenced by Gamelon music. Um, what it is? It's a traditional music ensemble in Indonesia. Yes. Hmm. 
Um, and let's actually listen uh, to some. Screw it. Let's just listen to some right now. There's lots of mallet percussion. A lot of percussion say. music in it. Uh, yeah, mallet percussion. Let me let me just pull up something, and we can listen to a little bit of it, so you can get an idea. Well, Elspeth's pulling it up. Part of the things that really attracted composers from the West to this music that was kind of very exotic sounding to them was the rhythmic structures were totally different from everything mm -hmm. that they were taught in like the Paris Conservatoire and that kind of play those kind of places and also the pitch system is a little bit different so you had like microtones and that was mind-blowing to composers at this time right okay here's some gamelan music There's also a lot of, in Javanese gamelan, and I'm not an expert, but this is based on my understanding of it, is that there's a lot of cyclical structures as well. So cyclical pitch structures, cyclical rhythm, and so, and it's all kind of interconnected in really interesting musical ways. Mm -hmm. um, but this is an example of a WC piece that is kind of the quintessential piece that's taught in all Music History 101, 102, uh, as an example of WC. Subtle dig. Yes. Right. This is except, what you should have been taught. Mine. Except mine. Or what you should have remembered from your studying yes. as an example of WC's influence, the influence that Javanese Gamelon had on him. And it is called Pagodas or Pagodas. Yes. into uh, WC's private life. Yes, yes please. please. If that's cool with everybody. So what happened is... Um, <laughs> what had happened was... What happened was when WC was 18, uh, he uh, met a woman named uh, Blanche Bosnier, who was a sinner. Uh, a sinner. She's a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a sinner, too. Well, she was the wife of a wealthy Parisian lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, and they began an eight-year-long affair. Wow, that's what? a long time. Yeah. What? So where in his the timeline that you already described? What? Where was he when he was eighteen? 
Is that that was before school. he went to Rome? Yeah, um, going to Rome is sort of what ended their relationship because she oh. was in Paris and he was in, in Italy. Um, but this is sort of leading up to that point. Okay. And after that, he lived in Sin with a woman named Garielle Dupont, who was a tailor's daughter from uh, Lisieux. Um, they got together because obviously he was teaching her how to play the fucking piano because yes. that's what he meets everybody this yes. time. <laughs> that's how you meet chicks. You teach them music. Teach piano. Right. So he briefly uh, was engaged to her, but then oh, that wow. ended because he cheated on her. Debbie C. Right. Disappointed um, in you. Because oh, wait, he was no, such sorry. a bohemian. He cheated on her with a woman named Therese Roger, who he was engaged to. So he got engaged to Therese. So uh, Blanche oh, first. Okay. They broke up. Still. He, he started hooking up with um, this Gariel Dupont woman. And then he cheated on her with a woman named uh, Therese Roger. And they were engaged for a little bit. But then he dumped Therese and started hooking up um, with a fashion model named Rosalie uh, Texier. Um, sounds, sounds like a playa. Well, he actually ended up marrying Rosalie. Hmm. Um, the model. The model. So they got married, but Good apparently she was, she was really attractive, but kind of an idiot. Oh. And so long term, he didn't really find her that interesting. And so he eventually packed her up and moved her back to her father's home when he met another woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, named Emma Bardock, who was the mother of one of his piano students. Oh my gosh! Did they legal? Did he and the model? Did they like legally separate or divorce? Or he just kind of said, "Go live with your father." In the country, yeah, they didn't divorce or anything like that. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm running through all of this super quickly, but um, so he leaves her in the country and starts shacking up with the mother of one of his piano students. Emma Bardock. Nice. Um, and Rosalie, his wife, didn't take it very well, obviously, when she found out about this. And um, she, so this is insane. She took a gun and she shot herself in the chest <gasps> while standing in the middle of uh, Paris's Place de la Concorde in the middle of the street. But uh... crazily enough, she survived. What? The suicide attempt. The bullet stayed lodged in her spine until her death, which was 28 years later. Oh, my gosh. Right? This is not at all where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> what was the, like, do we know anything more about the circumstance around her doing this? She just, well, like, she... got disgruntled, get disgruntled, went to the... Well, her husband ditched her off to the country, and then she found out that he was... Like living it Live, up in Paris. Like living up in Paris and having sex with another woman. And she was like, my life is over. I'm going to go to Paris. And I'm going to kill myself. Dang. Then she survived. Like That's very publicly. Crazy. Very publicly. To, to shame Debussy or whatever. And I wonder she if totally they like survived. lived in that area. So he's like watching from his window being like, what is I happening? don't know. I don't this know needs either. to be a movie. It really needs to be a movie. Definitely. Well, what happened was... So obviously she did <laughs> what this. What happened was. What happened was this very public suicide attempt. A lot of people saw it. Um, and oh no. It was They're reported like, in, the, in the paper. And Debussy became very unpopular. Debussy's a dick. Basically. Yeah. And so what happened is um, he and Emma, who was pregnant with his kid, <laughs> they were forced to flee and they went to England. 
Wow. wow. They 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 uh, they fled to England, um, and they uh, returned a couple of months later because they wanted their child to be a French citizen. So the child was born in France. Um, mm. A daughter who they named. Can you guess what they named her? They Don't tell me they named her Rosalie. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> oh God. That no, would no, no. have been what awesome. What was like the most self-centered thing they could call her? Self-centered. No, you're looking. No, self-centered no, and, and uncreative. Claude. Claudia. Claude Emma was her name. Oh. Are you serious? No, I'm dead serious. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. A couple of winners. Couple a couple, of winners. a couple of winners, but uh, they did stay uh, together um, for the rest of Debussy's life. Debussy died when he was fifty-six of rectal cancer. <laughs> Not a venereal disease, but rectal cancer. I shouldn't laugh at that because it's like a very real. Well, let me. Thing. I want to tell you the circumstances of his death and his funeral because again no no this the circumstances this whole thing of his should be rectal cancer his rectal cancer this whole thing should be a movie this is super dramatic um so he died in 1918 so we're mm-hmm. right smack in world war one mm-hmm. uh, he died in the midst of an aerial and artillery bombardment of paris um, and Whoa. his funeral procession uh, made its way through the deserted streets uh, to the very famous uh, Pierre Lacasse Cemetery, where like Jim Morrison and Edith Piaf and Oscar Wilde are all buried. Mm-hmm. Um, so this funeral procession was happening through these deserted streets while German shells were tearing the city apart. So if you can just imagine, like this super uh, dramatic. There's a, this BBC film called La Mer, named after the really famous piece of hero. Um, and it, if anybody can find it, it might be online somewhere. I really suggest checking it out because it really goes into depth his life and his marital infidelities and all the public scandals and also talks a lot about the origin of um, the opera La Mer. But yeah. Mm. Wow. I feel like there's probably a lot of people like me that are super ignorant to the lives and times of these composers. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, I, I like WC. WC's cool. He has great music. And then you find out all of this stuff, and you're like, man, this guy kind of sucked. He did yeah. kind of suck. I mean, and also I just, I'm imagining, like, this his funeral, like, he must have had some very dedicated friends and family and and fans and followers for them to hold a funeral procession while the Germans are literally like bombing and tearing up the streets of Paris. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. I mean, you know, he did have this huge, I feel like in French music, almost as much impact as Wagner did Mm -hmm. um, on, on Western music, especially in France. But I mean, if you think about it, this dude was like, such an asshole. <laughs> this woman, Rosalie, she tries to kill herself. People get really mad at him. So he flees with his um, lover, his pregnant lover. <laughs> and they're living it up in a, in a hotel in England. And he finishes writing La Mer at that time. And La Mer is sort of this celebration because um, Emma, her divorce came through at that point, And then his divorce from Rosalie came through at the same point. So they were free to marry each other. So that's sort of like... <laughs> He was finishing up La Mer at that time, and it was a happy and joyful time. And then they got married um, in 1908. So they were together for 10 years until he died. 
I mean, mm. I don't think they were particularly happy, but mm. they were together. <laughs> Doesn't La Mer mean like the ocean or the sea? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Hmm. I'd, I had no idea there was so much personal baggage yeah. and, and life events bound up in the composition of that piece. WC. I mean, it's it's super famous. It is really famous. Uh, a sad little side note, his the, his daughter, Claude Emma, um, was sort of the light of his life or whatever, and she only survived him by one year. Oh. Um, there was a diphtheria epidemic, and apparently the doctor... Like misdiagnosed and misprescribed her, and Ooh. and she died. That's terrible. That's yeah. terrible. Did did his second wife Emma? Emma continued him? on. Okay, okay. <laughs> Emma continued on. Um, so Debussy wrote one of my favorite operas, Pelleas and Melisande. Yes. And um, the when, original when production. When when life did that come? Nineteen o two. Okay. Um, and in the original production, the role of Melisande was played by the very famous soprano Mary Garden. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. Um, and she wrote later in her memoirs, she said, I honestly don't know if Debussy ever loved anybody, really. He loved Dang. his music and perhaps himself. I think he was wrapped up in his own genius. He was a very, very strange man. That's a direct quote? I think that's a direct quote. And I think that, that pretty much sums up. WC. Wow. And that, yeah. my friends, is WC. Is <laughs> WC. That, nice. That's crazy. I would have never really known that about him. I just <laughs> yeah, never we delved didn't... that deeply into his life. Yeah. Well, is there anything hmm. like particularly depressing that we can play out to? <laughs> well, Pelias is not particularly depressing, but it is pretty weird what's your favorite part of the opera you can't really take sections of it out because it's all one sort of continuous i will say like tone like symphonic tone poem with people singing just like washes of orchestral color floating back and forth the one part of peleus that i remember very vividly just because of the both the weird plot point that happens at this moment and the first production i ever saw of it there's this weird thing in Peleus and Melisande where Melisande's hair is very very long and it's like this symbolic thing for the seductive power of a woman. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor Mm. and so there's this scene where I think it's Peleus is like below a tower where she is held captive or living or staying and like she drops her hair out of the window like kind of like a Rapunzel moment but he doesn't like climb up and rescue her like Rapunzel. He like wraps himself in her hair. He like erotically <laughs> like yeah. wraps himself in the hair. But that is a, a sort of theme of the writing of that time. Yes, because it's a big trend. It's a big trend. Uh, the piece Naomi was talking about um, earlier, the Chanson de Billeti, um, there's mm-hmm. a second, the second movement in that in that song cycle is called The Hair. And it's all about wrapping wrapping myself up in your raven tresses kind of yeah. thing it's very erotic and so it was a thing the french at, at that know. time people like still had the hair all up and done but then if somebody if you saw somebody with the hair down it was in like a sexy time i mean time. maybe it was a response maybe. to like victorian not even victorian pre-victorian dress i don't know i don't yeah. know i haven't done a lot of research on that but it was a big 
That's a big trend. A big trend. Yeah, I guess that was a pretty taboo yeah. thing. You wouldn't see a woman with their hair down, with their walking around the street with their hair down. That would be a very private, mm-hmm. personal thing. Right. I don't know, but yeah, Weird. we can listen to some of that. Yeah. Some of that. It's erotic. He was an erotic man. Ooh. I looked up pictures. Not hot, weird facial hair. <laughs> oh, really? Like, how yeah. weird are we talking? Like, mustache. <laughs> like, goatee neck beard, but they're not connected. Oh. Here, I'll show you a picture of him. <laughs> and, like, a soul patch. Oh, nice. Nice. Can you see that? The young. Oh, yeah, Ooh, young Oh, God. Not... <laughs> Look at that brow. It's a pronounced forehead. He had pronounced forehead. The haircut there is very severe too. It's like almost like Elvin from the Lord of the Rings, like with a really kind of pointed side cut. But I mean, WC, yeah. one of the few composers who was um, an pretty elf. popular and an elf, <laughs> uh, pretty popular and rose to uh, fame and notoriety in his lifetime. Yeah, that's yeah. I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. Crappy guy like Puccini. Crappy guy, Puccini. great music. Verdi did too. Verdi, Wagner. Yeah. 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 Not Mozart. Sorry, Mozart. We love him now. Bless him. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's listen to some erotic uh, hair wrapping. And um, <laughs> my name is Elspeth, and I went through that super, super quickly, but it was I good. Mean, In and out. Thank you. As WC would say. Hey. <laughs> While you're listening to this, WC, and, and thinking about that last comment, make sure you go and like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, leave us an awesome review in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth again. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye for listening. <laughs>